entrepreneur, being a, starting a company, being a founder is all about taking a bet. It's all about sort of betting on yourself. You cannot wait around for the right time because if you wait for the right time or some big sign, it's never going to happen. It's like having kids, right? There's no perfect time. So you might as well do it. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. I want to welcome this week's guest, Gail Becker, to our show today. Gail is the founder and CEO of Collie Power, a company revolutionizing our favorite comfort foods by making them better and better for you. As a mother of two sons with celiac disease, Gail was always desperate for nutritious, gluten-free options. She found hundreds of thousands of recipes for cauliflower pizza to make for her kids, and they loved it. However, it took forever to make, and as a working single mom, she wanted an easier and faster option, which was nowhere to be found. Although Gail had a lucrative career as a media executive, it wasn't until her father passed away that she realized she wanted to follow his footsteps as an entrepreneur. This pushed Gail to leave her corporate job and truly bring her calling to life. In January 2017, Gail launched Kali Power and was determined to create a product that everyone could enjoy, that is nutritious, convenient, and tastes good. Since launching, Gail scaled the company to over $100 million in revenue in less than three years and completely disrupted the food industry to become the number one better-for-you pizza and number eight frozen pizza brand in the U.S. We'll chat with Gail on her money lessons, why she decided to leave her well-paying job to start a business with zero food experience, and advice she has for all entrepreneurs who are looking to make a difference in the world. Welcome to the show, Gail. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm super excited. I'm excited that you're here too. I personally have been a big fan of Collie Power. And for any of our listeners, Gail has been gracious enough to give everybody a free product. So check out the show notes if you're interested. But also, you know, your journey getting to launching Collie Power, I think is incredibly fascinating, especially when you had such a successful corporate career. I know that's definitely something that I can resonate with, but I can't wait to share your story with our listeners because I think you're a complete open book and there's so many key takeaways that they can take from your story. If there's anything left inside my brain, you're welcome to it. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love that. Well, I'd love to start from the beginning. So from my understanding, you grew up as a child of two parents who actually moved to the U.S. after surviving the Holocaust and truly had to rebuild their life from scratch. Can you share more about your childhood and how you think your parents have really impacted the women that you are today? My parents, they are both Holocaust survivors. They actually, um, somebody thought it would be a good idea to set them up, which ended up being a horrible idea because they divorced when I was about two years old. What was interesting about my childhood was they ended up living in different cities. So my dad lived in San Francisco and my mom lived in Orange County. And I used to shuttle back and forth. So I lived with my dad during the week and I would fly by myself to Orange County every weekend, pretty much until I was eight years old. And it was really an interesting way to grow up. Of course, I didn't think any different of it, but it's really interesting way to, to grow up because it taught me a lot of independence. You know, when I think about how, because of their backgrounds and how that impacted me, they believed in a couple of tenets. One was education is the one thing that no one can ever take away from you. 
And so education in every sense of the word, not just traditional education, was really, really important. Two, build your own dream because then no one can take it away. And, you know, my father particularly always said to me, why would you ever want to work for somebody else? And I think that was a really a direct response to just, you know, having everything taken from them, obviously their family, but, you know, also just everything that they, you know, had wanted to build. And then third was the concept of food and how, you know, my father was in Auschwitz for four years. I remember him saying to me, you know, the cold was awful. And, you know, obviously, you know, watching people die around you was awful, but nothing was as searing as the hunger. Food, as a result, always had a really big place in my family. Even if we couldn't afford, even if my mom particularly couldn't afford other things, she would always have the best cut of meat. She would always, like food was just precious and precious because, you know, of the people that you shared it with. And she always showed people that she loved them by making food for them. And so even though this is nothing like I ever thought I would do, there's so many things in my childhood that led me to this point in my life. I think that's fascinating. And just to kind of look back at your life and see how certain, like you said, certain tenets really translated to really what you're doing today on all levels. So that's why I always love to learn more about, especially your upbringing. And, you know, I'm curious, you know, you talked about your father was very entrepreneurial, always told you, right, be your own boss, but you didn't necessarily become an entrepreneur until later in your life. You actually were very successful in the corporate world. You know, you had a lucrative career in media. I'm curious, you know, how did the idea of cauliflower come about? And then we'll kind of dig into, you know, what made you take the leap into it from your successful career? Yeah, so it was really this unique moment in time, this convergence of three events that happened in my life. One was my disenchantment with corporate America. So yes, I had sort of worked my way up the corporate ladder. And, you know, by the time I got to the top, I didn't really like the view all that much. I knew I wanted to do something different, but I didn't know what it was. And I was scared because I worked so hard to get where I was, but I was really increasingly unhappy Two was this, I'm the mom of two boys with celiac disease, and they were diagnosed at such a young age that there was no gluten-free food in the store. And so it gave me a really good perch from which to watch the gluten industry evolve. And what I began to notice over the years was just how much junk the industry was putting in gluten-free food, more fat, sugar, salt, and calories. So like everybody, like probably a lot of your listeners, I sort of waited for someone to do something, but no one ever did. And so Calling power is definitely a result of me getting tired of waiting. And then three, probably, you know, the biggest reason was the passing of my father. He did come to this country with nothing, less than nothing. He, had, he built a small business in San Francisco. And when he died, something inside me really changed. And I knew I wanted to do something more meaningful. And I wanted to do something that would sort of honor his entrepreneurial footsteps. And so I put all those three things in a blender, you know, my disenchantment with corporate life, my realization that 
who's got time to make 90 minutes to, I mean, who's got time to make a pizza crust for 90 minutes after a full day of work. And three, the realization that I wanted to follow in my father's footsteps. I put all of those things in a blender. And what I came out with was, I know I'm going to quit my job and start a company called Collie Power. And, and that's what I did in May of 2016. I mean, that's pretty amazing to see. And I'm curious, you know, at that time, when you were leaving corporate America, I'm sure everybody thought you were crazy, but how did you power through those insecurities or self-doubt of bringing this product to life when you weren't necessarily an entrepreneur or didn't necessarily have any experience in the food industry? You know, it's such an interesting question because, you know, now people say, oh my gosh, that was so smart. You did that. Well, at the time it was probably the stupidest thing I ever could have done. I mean, let's be honest. I took everything I had and I put it in a business I knew nothing about. It was almost like a calling is really the best way that I can explain it. It was just something I I knew I needed to do. But the self-doubt was constant and, you know, quite frankly, still is. And that's okay because I think one of the mistakes that a lot of founders make is they feel like they need to know all the answers. They feel like they have to just sort of, you know, be able to do everything and know everything about the business. And, you know, one of the benefits to your point of of starting a business later in life is I felt really comfortable with what I didn't know. I wasn't afraid to admit it. In fact, I had to admit it in order to hire people much more, much smarter and much better in those areas than I was. And and I think that is really a big part of, of why Collie Power has been successful. Absolutely. And, you know, I love that you mentioned the insecurity and the self-doubt is still something you deal with because I think a lot of women, and I'm sure men, don't even take that first step because of that. So really, you know, having the awareness to acknowledge you have it, but still kind of powering through, I think is a common theme we see with so many of the successful entrepreneurs like yourself who've joined us on the podcast. So I'm so glad you brought that up because it doesn't go away ever, especially as a company gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, ever. (laughs) Ever. I sleep with one eye open is what I say. Yeah, I love that. So, you know, one thing I thought was interesting when you were starting out, you know, you mentioned you felt comfortable to take the leap because, you know, you had more of that confidence building a career for yourself. And it was a little bit later in your life. You mentioned that you didn't really share the idea that you were taking the plunge with a lot of people, you know, just your close family friends. And this is something that actually resonates with me and how I kind of went about taking a leap. But I love to kind of hear more about your perspective on, you know, those early days and who you shared with. So I didn't for one very simple reason, because I didn't want to hear a lot of what you're doing, why you're, you're, you don't know anything about food. I mean, well-meaning people, by the way, but I just didn't want to hear that. I had enough self-doubt. I had enough trepidation. I didn't, I didn't want to just, you know, fuel those fears. And, and by the way, you do have to be fearless. And if there's one thing that I definitely did inherit from my father, I think, and, and if you look at Holocaust survivors overall, you know, and many went on to build great businesses because they are fearless, right? Because they've had the worst that life has to offer. And so I took a little bit of that. I like to think I inherited a little bit, but I did take a little bit of that and say, okay, what is the worst thing that can happen? Because when I left my, when I left corporate America, I I wrote a blog and it was called better to say oops than what if. I love that. And to me, the biggest fear in life was, I don't want to say what if. And I think 
you know, doing this later in life, you sort of have less and less time to, you know, figure out what that what if is. And, you know, people sometimes come, oh my gosh, calling power has grown so fast. And I always say, well, it grew so fast because I have less time, you know, <laughs> I need to do it fast. So I think those are all elements that, that sort of helped, helped overcome my fears. But the reason I didn't tell people is I, I didn't want any judgment. And literally I could count on one hand, the people that I knew in my life who I told about it. And interestingly, I, I one time I, I heard a radio interview with Sarah Blakely from Spanx and she actually did the same thing. She didn't tell anybody, which I, which I had no idea. I, I, for me, it worked. Absolutely. No. And I've been in the same position. And like you said, you know, these people are well-meaning, they care for you. They're coming from a good place, but they don't really understand that feeling that you have of, you know, wanting to create something. And I'm sure right now they're all fans of you now that you're successful. The company's <laughs> big, you know, people come out of the woodworks. They're like, Gail, you know, you're killing it. I always knew that would be successful. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I yeah. love hearing stories like that. So I got to see good ones of those. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I'm curious about, so you mentioned, you know, you jumped into this opportunity, not necessarily having any background in food. So really thinking about the early days of you getting the brand off the ground, do you remember any key elements that you think really helped you, you know, as someone who's listening today, looking to jump into something new also and get that off the ground? I would say probably two things. So first of all, yes, I didn't know anything about food, but I did know a little something about marketing because that's what I did for, you know, many years in, in corporate America. I helped, I worked with a lot. I worked at a, a, a global PR and marketing firm and I did that for a lot of clients. And so everybody comes to start a company with their own area of expertise. For me, it was marketing. Maybe for someone else, it's a, it's an industry, you know, specific specialty. Maybe someone's really good at finance. So sort of identify what it is you're really good at. And so because I knew a little something about marketing, Collie Power became a very marketing led brand, right? Because that was my area that I felt comfortable with. And, you know, I think that, that, that is st still part of who we are today. And we've built an amazing community around that. And then to the point I was making earlier, I hired consultants to teach me. You know, I didn't know anything about the business, but I knew I could learn. So I hired lots of consultants to teach me about the business. I literally had consultants walking me into a grocery store, taking me up and down the aisles and explaining to me why this was there and how much and what the pricing means and how brokers work and all of that. And, you know, I still learn something every day, which is, which is one of my favorite parts about the job. It's interesting. We actually just had the founder of Think Then come on and she mentioned the same thing. She said, you know, so many people hire employees early on, but if you can use a consultant or yes. someone that you can pick their brains for, even if you don't know the industry. So it's beautiful to see that really worked for you. And, you know, they're experts in their field. You're not necessarily expected to know everything. So why not? Exactly. Exactly. So one thing you mentioned, you guys have scaled pretty quickly. It's, it's pretty amazing to see, you know, you're over a hundred million dollar revenue in less than three years. I'm sure there's so much that goes into that, but what would you think were some of the key elements that have really helped you guys scale to that size so quickly? I would say uh, three things really. One is our our brand. We we were able to build a, a, a brand that really resonates with people. We we don't take ourselves too seriously. We we're very relatable. We don't make products in little glass jars and 
we try and really be a brand that is accessible to all. And I, and, and I think that voice has really resonated Two, you know, as is in life, timing. Our timing was really good. Having that first-to-market advantage was really noteworthy in terms of, you know, building, being able to build that market share. So that was also one of the elements. And then finally, you know, in, in real estate, it's all about location, 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 right? Well, in food, it's all about taste, taste, taste. And, you know, we had a product and always have products that where taste is tantamount to everything else. And, you know, we don't believe you have to sacrifice taste for health or nutrition. It's, and, and we sort of live at that intersection of, you know, taste, health and convenience. And, you know, I think before you would be, you could definitely walk down the aisles and get one of those things lucky if you could get two, but to be able to get all three with a brand that resonates, I think that's, that's our sweet spot. Absolutely. And, you know, like I mentioned, I'm sure somebody can look at you and think, oh my gosh, you know, Gail's really made it. She's created this massive company so quickly, but we've had people on the podcast that haven't been able to even support that growth that's come their way. So even that perspective is really difficult. So I'm curious, you know, in the time when you were just starting out early on and really trying to meet the demand, you know, what were some of the challenges that you faced to really support this crazy growth that you guys have seen? It was crazy, particularly early on. And there's a look, there's a lot of, I mean, even just to find, even just the concept of cauliflower crust pizza was unheard of. And people thought it was crazy. Like, what, first of all, what do you know about the food business? And no, you can't make a pizza crust out of cauliflower. So it was like this whole, you know, from the very early days of the company was, you know, sort of a hundred reasons why you can't do something. And I think one of the great things about being an innovator in any category is that, you know, I think people have to figure out a couple of things when they start a business. One, what rules are you going to follow? Know how the industry works. Follow those rules. Don't deviate. Learn from the lessons of others and know everything about the industry that you're about to enter. Okay. On the flip side, you have to know which rules to break. You can't do it like everybody else. If you do it like everybody else, you're no different than, you know, the big guys that are, you know, already in the freezer section. So figure out what rules you're going to follow and figure out what rules you're going to break. And that's what I did pretty early on. I said, I came and I said, okay, well, it seems like we have to do this, this, and this, but we're going to do all of these things differently, starting with the concept of making a pizza crust out of coca. I love that. You know, thinking about what rules you need to follow and what rules you need to break. I think that's really powerful. And, you know, I'm curious, as you mentioned, starting out, people were not making cauliflower pizza. So was it tough to even find a manufacturer that was willing to work with you? Because I know that's a whole other perspective in business. That is a whole other perspective. <laughs> yeah. It was very hard. It was very hard to do. I had to kiss a lot of frogs. Let's, let's say that. Let's put it that way. I have a whole you know, very long list of people who told me no. And I think that's important for people to remember because, you know, Kali Power, knock on wood, you know, is is doing, has built a, a nice uh, fan base and we're very grateful for that. And, and we end up on, on people's dinner tables all over the country. But for every pizza we've made, I've hit a roadblock. 
And, you know, nobody should think that because Kali Power hit 100 million, that this has been a smooth and an easy ride in any sense of the word. It has been the most difficult thing I have ever done. It is everything to the nth degree. It is the most difficult, the most challenging, the most rewarding, the most wonderful, the most heartbreaking, the most heart fulfilling. I mean, you name it, wouldn't trade it for anything, but yeah, you are going to hit roadblocks and that's okay. That means you're doing your job. Are there any, you know, certain roadblocks that come to mind that you can share with our audience or any big challenges that you've hit? Yeah. I mean, look, to, to answer your question from earlier, you know, what did I do to handle growth? In some instances, I told people, no, you know, there was a very big customer who wanted very big, who wanted our product. And I had to tell them no, because I just couldn't do it. And I think saying no is really antithetical to the sort of entrepreneurial spirit because saying yes, if you're an entrepreneur, you say yes to everything. And learning the importance of saying no and earning the trust of everybody that in your, you know, ecosystem is really important because then when you are ready, you can, you know, say yes. And and that's a big part of, of, of where Kali Power came from. And it is true. I do think some entrepreneurs have a difficult time saying no to any deal. It's like this, like sickness they have in them. Oh my God, me too. I do. Right. Exactly. It's always fascinating to see, but to your point, you know, it's better to decline, really build the brand with integrity, making sure the foundation is there. And, you know, honestly, I think that's also another pillar in terms of how you guys have seen pretty great growth is because of that. Exactly. So one thing I'm curious also to talk about is starting out, you actually self-funded majority of the business. And, you know, now you've raised two rounds of funding to support the growth. But as someone who didn't necessarily go to friends and family early on, right, you used all your money to get the product off the ground. How did you really think about fundraising and when did you know it was the right time to go for it? So I made a conscious decision not to take family and friends money because I was always already risking so much in my own life. I just couldn't stomach the thought of risking the you know money from, from those people I love. So I did self-fund. I self-funded with my own money. I sold clothes online. I did everything you could possibly imagine. I maxed out my credit cards. And then I also had some money that my father left me, you know, not enough to retire on an island anywhere. But enough to, you know, take a little chance. And so I took every last penny and I put it in the business. And I did that because I knew how hard he worked for it. And I felt like the money was blessed. And so I I started the company in May of 2016. We launched in February 2017. I closed my first round of funding in September of 2017. And Trying to raise money, obviously I'd never done that before, just like I'd never worked in food before. Trying to do that was a remarkable journey, one that probably, you know, deserves a podcast in and of itself. But I made the decision that I was only going to take smart money. I was only going to take money from VCs that specialized in food because I had no food experience. And so to me, that was a very conscious route. I could have probably gotten money easier and faster by not following that rule that I had set for myself, but I think it was the right decision. And, you know, you talked about how it was a very challenging time, right? I mean, it's something you didn't necessarily do. You've never raised money. So I'm curious, you know, what were some of the challenges or any, you know, key lessons that you want to share with our audience? Yeah. 
So I didn't even know where to begin and, and maybe some of your listeners don't either. So I actually just, I hired someone to introduce me to uh, food VCs and I spoke to a lot of them, maybe like 30 to 40. I spoke, I, I remember there was a month when I had like, you know, four, three hour calls every single day that month. You know, it's a bit of a dance. Like you have to find the people that are going to be right for you and they have to find, you know, the um, investment opportunities that are right for them. So it's a bit of a, a dance, almost like a dating app, if you will. What ended up happening, interestingly, is that, you know, because we grew so quickly and because we ended up getting in Walmart very soon. So we launched in February of 2017. We were in Walmart by October of that year. And I was raising money in September. So most of the people said to me, we want to just, happy to give you money. We just want to wait and see how you do in Walmart. Just, you know, a few months more of data and then we're in. And I was like, well, thank you very much, but I don't have a few months. So another word to the wise is I waited too long. I waited until I actually really needed the money. Nobody should do that. You should raise a little bit before you need it because that definitely worked against me. But that's what most people said. And it was hard. Most people, you know, didn't know what cauliflower crust was. Remember, it wasn't a thing. All of the VCs that I spoke to, with the exception of two, were all male. You know, which was fine, but it was just, it was just one more element of me feeling like out of my normal comfort zone. So that was interesting as well. And, and you know, and, and, and there were aspects to the business that was just sort of a unique explanation. But anyway, it ended up working out great. There was one uh, Boulder Food Group that, you know, took a bet on me. I took a bet on them. They didn't need to wait for a couple more months data. And what's interesting about that to the point you were making earlier is when it got came time to raise money again later and the business was much bigger and growing, all the other people who had turned me down were throwing money at me. Here, take this, take this. Can we give you money? Can we give you money? And I said, no, because when you're a founder and an entrepreneur, timing of when people bet on you is everything. And so, you know, I like to dance with the one that brought you and those people and the folks at BFG took an early bet on cauliflower. So when it came time to raise again, I went directly to them and, and they're the only ones that I have raised money with. And, you know, it's worked out well for cauliflower and it certainly worked out well for them too. So. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, as an entrepreneur who has a PO from Walmart, you need that cash <laughs> to even support it. So oh for someone God. to say no, I'm sure that was so scary for you at the time. It was really scary. And lots of people said no. Lots of people said no. Or most of them said, wait and see. But being an entrepreneur, being a, starting a company, being a founder is all about taking a bet. It's all about sort of betting on yourself. And you cannot wait around for the right time. Because if you wait for the right time or some big sign, it's never going to happen. It's like having kids, right? There's no perfect time. So you might as well do it. Yeah. And that actually, that's a great point because it takes me into my next question. You know, as a single mother of two kids running a high growth business, how are you managing both of those lives? Right. Because it's never a right time to start a company, start a family. And now you're kind of doing both. Yeah. It's interesting. My solution to that was in really involving my kids in the business. 
and they're still involved. Obviously, they're older now, but they're but they're still involved. So they have been my summer interns, my booth workers, my social media, you know, approvers, my taste testers. Anything that you taste in the market today had to go through the very stringent taste test of my two sons. And we talk about the business at dinner time, right? It's it it's all about you don't have to have two worlds and sort of worry about how much time you're giving which. To me, it was just much easier if I melded those worlds together. And as a result, I think my kids have gotten like a pretty good education, right? I don't know if it's going to make them run towards being an entrepreneur or make them run way far the other way, but it's been a great experience for all of us. And um, it is a family business in that sense. It's awesome to see how you've integrated both of your worlds, right? Like two things that you're clearly very passionate about, you know, your business is your third child. and (laughs) Totally. And one thing we hear quite a bit, you know, as a few entrepreneurs that have come on our podcast who are mothers, you know, they talk about this feeling of guilt, right? You know, not spending enough time with your child or whatnot. You know, I'm curious, have you ever gone through that yourself or the integration has really worked for you and the way you've designed your life? The integration worked for me. And I was always one of those moms when I worked in in corporate life. You know, I was always one of those moms that one of the working mothers that felt like I had to prove myself. You know, I, I couldn't just buy the cookies. I had to bake the cookies. You know, I was, you know, running in off the plane in my boots and my leather jackets, you know, not wanting into the concert, you know, just with like five minutes to spare. I really felt that pressure to prove to everyone that I could do it, that I could manage both worlds without feeling guilty. And now, you know, I look, everybody gives their kids something different, right? And for me, I would like to think that I am passing along to my kids in essence, the same thing that my father passed along to me, this sense of fearlessness, this sense of betting on yourself, this sense of, um, you know, creating your own destiny, and quite frankly, trying to make the world a little bit better along the way. If I could teach my kids those things, then I, I, I feel like I've done an okay job as a mom. Absolutely. And it is such a blessing, you know, growing up, my dad was very entrepreneurial and similar to you would bring me to the office, take me to, you know, business meetings because he wanted me just to be around. And it was such a beautiful learning just to kind of see your parent and someone you look up to take risk and kind of how they manage certain situations that, you know, now as I'm living my own dream of creating my own destiny, it feels a little bit more comfortable because I feel like I've seen it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's really nice to hear. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So I'm excited to see what your kids will be up to in the future. (laughs) Me too, me too. (laughs) You know, one thing that's interesting from your perspective, you went from a comfortable job and a comfortable salary to being an entrepreneur, right? So I actually went through something very similar, you know, did very well in investment banking, decided to leave all that money to kind of go into my own thing. Was that adjustment in lifestyle and transition difficult for you? It's funny. It's such a good question. It was both. It was difficult and fantastic. So look, I mean, there are a lot. Yes, I used to make uh, a lot more money than I do. Yeah, and it was consistent. Like, what a beautiful concept. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think I was going the other way. I keep. (laughs) So my life changed pretty drastically. I used to, you know, when I worked in corporate America, I used to 
turn, like I used to say, I used to get onto the plane and turn left instead of right. I used to stay at nice hotels when I worked in corporate America. And now when, and then when I started calling power, literally a hotel could not be cheap enough. Like $80 a night in some of these towns was like really pushing it. Um, and I would sleep in my sweatpants because like, I just thought, oh, okay, this isn't so clean, but I can do it. But you know what? There was something about that experience of just really scrimping and, and saving and, you know, selling my clothes and maxing out my credit cards. And, you know, sometimes it got scary and, you know, I would buy this brand because it was a little cheaper than that brand, but it was kind of wonderful in the way that I really felt like I was all in. Like I wasn't just, I felt like, because when you are raising your third child, right? In this case, you're, you want to feel like you're giving it everything that you had and a hundred dollars into the business, more than a hundred dollars into my closet was super worth it. And so I actually, so today I live very differently than I used to live, you know, pre Kali power. And I always say, you know, half as rich and twice as happy. I am far happier than I have ever been. I don't need anywhere near as much stuff as I used to. Although I think COVID probably has made a lot of us realize that. But it's been an, I, I was very surprised to see how I would react to that part of the journey. And it was really in some ways sort of the best part. Yeah. And I definitely can attest to that and feel the same way. So if there's anyone listening who okay. is nervous to take that jump and, you know, leave that consistent cash flow behind, I think yeah. if it's something you're passionate about, the happiness factor is so worth it. And like you said, you know, going all in, I think it depends on your situation, right? Similar to you, I've saved money to kind yeah. of take this leap, you know, so yeah. I don't recommend it for everybody, but having that feeling of going all in and knowing, you know, you're, you know, excuse my language, like your ass is on the line. Like you have to make money, right? Like you can't spend $50 doing, you know, something it's just, it's worth going in the business, but that feeling is so awesome. And I think, you know, to your point, giving that third child, the attention and going all in, I think is a, is a beautiful factor to get a business off the ground. Yeah, well said. I, I I totally agree. So I want to switch gears a little bit. In another interview that you did, you actually mentioned something interesting about money and how you thought about it in your first marriage. You know, you didn't really spend too much time on your finances or you didn't make it a priority at least until you really got divorced. You really thought being financially literate was important for you. I'd love for you to dig a little bit deeper into that because I think it's a really important topic that we as women don't talk enough about. I couldn't agree more with you. And and by the way, it's probably the most embarrassing part of my life. But yeah, in my, you know, first marriage, I obviously made a lot of money, had no idea what happened to it after that. We just like sort of go in the bank account, didn't know where any of the bills were, didn't know, uh, you know, didn't know how to take pay my own bills. I didn't even have my own checking account. And I definitely remember there was this one day when it was 4th of July weekend and I had to go open my own checking account at the bank. And there was this lovely woman, this Russian woman actually, and she was helping me. She knew it was my first checking account. I mean, this is embarrassing. It wasn't that long ago. Okay. Let's just, just, you know, to be clear. And I was filling out the paperwork and we, and we finished. And she said to me, she said, wow, looks like this really is independence day. Wow. And I just, even when I said that just now, I still got the chills. It was, yeah, it, it, it really was my independence day. And from that moment 
forward, I knew that my life would never be like that. It never has been. And what I find remarkable is because, you know, how many women come to me, you know, particularly after getting divorced, because I was sort of one of the first in my little pod. And how many people have come to me since and who I have had to have the same conversation with. And I've had to explain to them how they need to take control of their own financial, you know, future. And I even remember going, hiring a financial advisor and going to dinner with her. And she was telling me things like, okay, so when you need like things like toilet paper, don't go to this store because that's too expensive. Get it at Costco or something like that. Like she was like getting that granular with me, but that's what I needed. If there's any women listening out there in whatever context, be in charge of your own financial future. You deserve that. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it's really not uncommon, even with very successful women like you, you know, making money, they don't have awareness in terms of where it's going. So even just having that, I think is important. Just taking that one step. Exactly. Exactly. It's shocking. I mean, of of all the things I have done in my life and career, it is probably the most embarrassing. Yeah, no. And I appreciate you being very open because it is a very common thing. And I think there's a lot of taboo around women even talking about money. Right. So, you know, hopefully these type of conversations can change the trajectory. I hope so. I hope so. Well, you know, I want to close on one last question that we love to ask all of our guests and it's along the lines of money, you know, wealth means so much more than money and everybody has a different definition of wealth at this point in your life. What does wealth mean to you? It's funny, I used to say that when I worked in in corporate life, I would go to bed on Sunday night and just dread it with a pit in my stomach that, you know, the next day was Monday and another work week, week would begin. And I think to me, wealth is the ability to, wealth with, you know, quotation marks around it, is the ability to go to bed on Sunday night and be really happy about how you're going to wake up on Monday morning and where you're going to spend your time and what mission are you working on and you know how many people are you helping and what is the look at how many people you've given jobs to and what is the impact of how you're spending your time that is you know remarkable wealth and no amount of money will ever replace that feeling That's so beautiful. And I really wish that upon everyone that's listening to create that and, you know, any way we can support, whether it's these conversations or whatnot. But I I think that's so beautiful and I could not agree more. But thank you, Gail, for taking the time to share your incredible story with us. It was such an honor to have you. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.